Namaste. Welcome to Interruptions Podcast, where we talk to individuals who have dealt with trauma and interruptions either in their personal lives or through an implementation of a program or service that they are offering to the community. It is the people who are on a journey towards resiliency and finding their way back to some type of level of normalcy. Kathy and I are passionate about our faith, social justice, and the effects that they have on our lives. During every episode, we talk about actionable advice that you can apply today to reinvent yourself as you find the courage to have faith in the midst of your interruptions. My name is Reverend O. And I'm Kathy Patton, and we are your hosts. And welcome to Interruptions. Our guest today is Mark Brevard of New England Donor Services, and we can welcome Mark into the space. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hello. How are you, Odell? I'm good. Welcome to Interruptions. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me tonight. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Hello, Kathy. How are you? I'm well. Great to see you. <laughs> Mark, uh, welcome to the space. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the title of our podcast tonight is From Trauma to Triumph. And uh, welcome. Uh, so I have to ask the question because you're Kathy's guest. So are you fraternity brother or something? So please tell us how you and Kathy know each other. Well, I won't say how many years, but no. <laughs> it's been a long, long time. But actually, um, we went to University of Connecticut and stores Connecticut together. And we were there at the same time and graduated from the university together. So I've known her for a very long time, very long time. Okay. All right. Well, and Odell, um, we were we were there. Um, I, I'll share with you. We were there <laughs> when uh, there weren't a lot of us on the campus no. of color. And so we we all became very close because we needed to help each other to get through school. So it wasn't as a diverse college at that time. Um, but it, it worked out for us because it did make us close. So if somebody was studying and we were in the same class, everybody was studying. And so we kind of pulled each other up as we went through that time in college. And yes. that's what it should be. Um, it was a little different for me. I went to Howard, so there was a lot of <laughs> okay. <laughs> you didn't there have was, to worry too much. <laughs> no, but we still had to pull each other up and, yes. and find one another. So yes. So so Mark, um, with our our broadcast today being called "Turning Trauma into Triumph," talk to us about your journey um, that led you to working with New England Donor Services. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to give you the short version because it's We actually... have time. We don't need the short version. Go ahead. So um, just to give you a little background about myself, um, I started out actually in corporate with Xerox Corporation in New York City, and I worked as a sales rep and then a regional sales manager. And um, I did that for quite a while. Um, I was also impacted and a part of 9-11. So I lost mm -hmm. basically all of my clients due to 9-11 because I handled the World Trade Center and the finance district. So um, after being there for 18 years, it, it was just like it's time to do something different. 
and I was on a board for a private Christian school in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and they were trying to expand their school and asked would I just do some administrative things for them in the interim while I was looking for a job after I left Xerox. So I said, sure, not a problem. Well, I went back to school to take some classes um, in education, and I ended up being the headmaster for that school for 10 years in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And um, when charter schools started, funding was getting low for the school I was at, and parents were sending their children to charter schools. So this is in 2014, and it was time to get another job. And I made up in my mind that I didn't want any type of job like Xerox where I had to push numbers, make quotas and different things like that. I wanted to do something where I had an impact in people's lives. And I was looking for a job and um, New England Donor Services, they were looking for a community outreach person, someone to go out into the community to talk about organ and tissue donation, especially in communities of color because there were a lot of myths. And um, they took the initiative of sending letters to the 100 most influential Blacks in Connecticut. My aunt happened to be on that list. And she said, Mark, I see something you may be interested in. And I applied and went through the interviewing process. And that's how I started at New England Donor Services. OK, well, uh, what, 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 what a journey. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't want to make any assumptions, mm -hmm. um, but I did hear you. How many African-Americans are, and do you know that are working in your field in the New England area? Because when I used to work for, as you know, working for corporate, you walk in the space, we know that we're the only ones. Mm -hmm. And we look around the room and we try to find, okay, who else is here? So. What's the environment? What's the cultural environment with New England Donor Services? So um, that's a very good question. So put it this way, when I went to the first all staff meeting and I looked around and we have about 200 and some odd employees, there were probably about 15 people of color in the building. And at that time, I want to say three black males. Ooh. So, um, the industry I'm in is very um, what, dominated by women also um, okay. in that field too. So when I went there, it, was a little, it wasn't really culture shock, but I was just a little shocked that an organization that had been in um, existence since 1968 didn't have more people of color um, within the organization. But um, I'm glad that they were able to see that there was a need, you know, under the new leadership in our company that, you know, we have to make some changes and do some things to make sure that we're reaching out into the community as far as organ donation and other health issues in the community. So, so mm -hmm. I've seen, I've been there since 2014 and I have seen tremendous changes in that area. And even with all the, um, social injustice that's been going on this year. <clears throat> well, it's been going on for a while, but light has been put on it this year. Um, our company really took a lead in being a part and creating like a social equity work group and different things so that we can actually be out there doing things um, in the community. We actually just did a big project in the community today in Hartford, Connecticut, um, giving back and feeding um, communities. Um, we did that this afternoon. So, so we're doing a lot of things now community oriented 
to make sure that, you know, we address the issues that are, you know, all throughout New England, not just Connecticut. All right. Thank you. Go ahead, Kathy. Yeah, no. So, Mark, (laughs) your organization, it it says New England. So where do tell me that where does that cover? Like So we cover all of um Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Vermont, Maine, all of that area of New England. And New York as well, or is New York? No, New York, New York is not part of us. It stops at Connecticut. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have locations in those other states, or it's just your your. No, work? so our our main office. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Our main no. office is in Waltham, Massachusetts. So everyone, we have different persons who work at different hospitals in regards to organ and tissue donation within those areas, and um, depending on what your position is, so you may have to go to a case at Yale New Hos- Yale New Haven Hospital, even mm-hmm. though you live in Massachusetts. It all depends. Okay. So, yeah, as community outreach, my team, we handle all of New England. So we do all community outreach um, all throughout New England. So it's myself and I have two other persons. Okay. Thank you. Yes. So, Mark, we know that you are a UConn graduate. Um, We know you just told us your journey. So we always ask this question. Uh, Tell us something about yourself that we would not learn if we Googled you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Wow. We always like for our our listeners (laughs) to get to know our guests. Um, I used to play the trumpet from fourth grade to freshman year college, and I stopped. (laughs) A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) Why did you stop? I guess, you know, you get older, other interests, and, you know, just wasn't my thing anymore. Yeah. um, A lot of people don't know also that, um, which I kind of touched on it, that um, I was um, involved in 9-11. So a lot of people don't know that too yet. And that was, uh, I'm sure, very traumatic to have to go through that. Uh Very much so, um, especially losing a lot of my clients and coworkers, you know, during that time. That was something very hard to process during that time. Yeah, I didn't know that, Mark, all this time. I I did not know that. But, um, Odell, have you ever thought about organ donation? Nope. (laughs) <laughs> no. Okay. I I love it how you wait till today to ask me that question in front of our guests. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Excuse me, Mark, but nope. Okay. So We're good. We re- can talk about that today. So I remember. You know, I'm not sure what the show was or what what, but I remember watching a TV show or a movie or something where people were, you know, people were. Not voluntarily, but the hospital was letting people die because they needed their organs and they were people of color, you know, and they were like, well, take the organs and people didn't know their organs were missing or they would wake up with one kidney or, you know, missing some other body, some other organ later. And some would just die because they needed their heart. So the answer to that at that stayed with me when I knew Mark was coming on. And I said, I hope they don't ask me this question. <laughs> but it's something that I have believed when, when I see that check mark on the driver's license, I always go back to that movie and go, nope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know Thank what? 
that is something that a lot of people go through movies they've seen and things like that and there are a lot of myths in our community and just in the community as a whole in regards to organ and tissue donation so you know of course the movie they sensationalize it the best way they can to make you want to watch it but none of that is true and just to give you a quick statistic there are over like a hundred thousand people waiting for organs in our country and 60 percent of those are people of other cultures out of that 100% who are waiting. So there's a need for people of color to register. That would be, you know, the great thing. And there's also a need for organs. And we have the most kidney failure, actually, in our um, wow. ethnicity group. You know, I'm yeah. sure everyone knows someone that's on dialysis. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, so... Yeah. So, so Kathy puts me on blast. I, I know she's going to come out shining like a rose <laughs> on this one. So, so Kathy, I have to ask you, are you an organ donor? Did you check the box on your driver's license? So honestly, I, I had not, I had heard about organ donation, but the only time I really paid attention to it, you know how you hear it and kind of in passing, but we didn't really talk about that in our in our communities. But the only time I really started paying attention was that when Mark and one of my sorority sisters, Andy, were doing an event and they were talking about organ donation. And I started asking um, some questions, not too many, because I didn't want them to convince me to do it. So I was <laughs> I felt like if they if they tell me I'm gonna start to feel bad and then I'm gonna end up doing it. Um and at that time I didn't, but I did I asked the question and I and I said, you know, I asked questions like, you know, how do I know like if I'm in an accident or something that they're just not gonna let me die and use my organs because I'm so close to death, they're just gonna say, okay, she only has like a 95% chance of living. So I'm gonna just go ahead and take her organs and, and let her go. And then I, I threatened Andy and I said to her, if I if I go to the hospital, you better be right there to make sure that they don't let me die if I'm if I can still make it. And and um but then when I I think when I really started seriously thinking about it uh lately was that Mark uh and a young man did a presentation at my job job and he was a heart recipient and just to hear his journey um, and then also a close friend of, of our families lost their daughter and and she was an organ donor and they didn't even know it and yeah. so um, I did start thinking about it more and more in in terms of really what it means to be an organ donor but I you know I, I have to say that I really, I didn't have that sense of saying, uh, oh yes, automatically I wanna be an organ donor. Cause I, I was scared, I was really scared. So Mark, I mean, are these common, what you hear Odell and I saying, are these common fears of people? So it's so funny, you you and Odell have actually mentioned the t one of the top two reasons why people <laughs> do not want to register to become an organ donor. <laughs> There are a lot of reasons, but number one is if I'm in a car accident or some type of accident and they know that I'm an organ donor, they will not save my life. And that is totally, totally false. The first mission of first responders are to save your life. And they won't even know that you're an organ donor. They have no idea of even knowing that you are an organ donor. So that's one myth. And the other is that, you know, I saw in a movie or something that you know they're like opening people up and just taking their kidneys and things and paying money and things like that all those are myths and things that are in movies and that's what um 
I would be so happy if everyone that listened to your podcast was to register to be a donor. But most importantly, I want people to be educated on what the process is and what happens, because a lot of people don't realize that um, at the end of life, if you're with your family member, if they're not a registered donor, someone from our organization is going to come and ask, would you like to make that decision? And I don't think that's a good question to ask someone when they don't know anything about organ donation. Wow. You're going to look at me and be like, you know, you're probably going to say some things to me that aren't too nice. So if you're educated on knowing what it's about, you know, and you are in this situation with a loved one, you could be like, okay, you know what? I kind of remember someone saying something about it or, you know, you'll have some education on it. So <clears throat> we really want to educate the community about organ and tissue donation. And I'm finding now that people are becoming more educated on why they should become an organ and tissue donor now, because they're um, feeling it through their family members and people that they know who are waiting for kidneys and hearts and livers and things like that. And, you know, I get a lot of people who come to me and, you know, ask, can they be a living donor for one of their relatives? And um, with that being said, because a living donor, you can give a kidney or part of your liver while you're alive to someone. All other um, organs, of course, it's after you're deceased. Right. So... Yes, I, I watched the video that you sent us that's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I, I do encourage our listeners to go watch this video on YouTube because it helped me with some questions, but not all of my questions. So here's a good one for you, Mark. Okay. So let's say someone gets a organ mm -hmm. and the, the organ that they receive, this individual either had um, certain behaviors. Let's say they either loved sports or they uh, were vegan or had certain hobbies or social activities that they just were passionate about. So if you get that person's organ, do you acquire those behaviors? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I don't think there's been any like true studies on that, but there are persons who give their testimonials and it'll be like, you know, all of a sudden, um, I have a taste for Italian foods now or something, you know, so I don't know if that's just something that happens, but there's really no um, certain cases about that, you know, like, so if you get the organ of like, you know, a top violinist, all of a sudden you're going to be like, you know, <laughs> playing concerts all over the world. I don't know, but, but, you know, um, you know, but you never know, but I think, you know, um, a lot of people too, when they get to meet their donor families, which happens a lot. And for instance, like um, we have a lot of people who their loved ones have given a heart to someone else and that mother will come and listen to the heartbeat of the person's heart that their son, you know, gave to someone else. And it's just an emotional moment, you know, things like that. That's what I love about this job is just the connection of people and life and giving life and it's kind of like someone's tragedy turns into triumph really because it ends up being like a legacy for them that their loved one is still living and just to see you know the emotions and i can honestly say with all the um division going on in our country and races and things like that organ donation transcends all race so you know african-americans give organs to white people, white people give them to Asian people, you know, it's just people want to live and give the gift of life to other people. Yeah. Mark, that you said that, um, I remember watching uh, 
12 million little things. I think that's what it's called. I've got the TV show. And um, uh, one of the characters, her brother died in a car accident and someone else got her brother's heart. And the mother was all of a sudden attached to this guy. She wanted to just be in his life because Uh he had her son's heart. Uh-huh. And um, so, yes, when you just mentioned that, some of them become like extended family. You have people they go to um, weddings and baby christenings Aww. and things. And, you know, they become a part of each other's lives, which is a beautiful thing. Then, Mark, when you did the presentation for for my job and the young man did the presentation who, who was a heart recipient, uh-huh. I, that was touching. And and because we we re- we really just ran out of time because he still had so much that he wanted to share. And then you told me after that the mother of that um, of the heart. Uh, pers- the person who heart he received came and listened. I said, "Oh, I would have probably lost it if I yeah. if I heard that story." But just beautiful. But I I do want to share with you, and I'm going to finish answering Odell's question to me that um, because of that presentation, because just watching um, what you do and um, having having faith. Um, I, on um, when I had to get my license renewed recently, I did sign up to be an organ donor. I did. I did. Smell it good. <laughs> I did. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to mail you a t-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> but I have to still be honest that I, I am still afraid. So mm-hmm. I did it because of uh, what I saw our, our friends go through and losing her daughter and just the, the beauty of it. And um, maybe you can talk a little bit later about the ceremony that happens, but just um, I knew that what am I holding on to, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm not here and someone else can live because of something that I do, then that's really where I kind of got the strength from to do mm-hmm. it. But I can't tell you that I'm, I'm still not afraid about it, but I, I, checked that box and, and went forward. But we don't talk a lot about it in our community. Like you were educating us this evening and you educated the people that were on the call at my job. And there were over a hundred people on that call and so many comments came in after. But we don't talk about this type of thing in the African-American community. Why is that? I think, you know, in our community, we don't talk about death. We don't talk about um, end of life. Um, we don't talk about will and wills and different things like that. You know, we try not to talk about those things, but it's something we should really prepare. So it's going to happen. It's one thing it's going to happen just like a graduation, a wedding or what have you in birth. Death is something that's going to happen. And, you know, we have to embrace the fact that we need to have our families involved and educated on whatever the process you know, or what our wishes want to be. And that's why, like you signed up, Kathy, um, I hope you had a, you know, conversation with um, Garland, with your whole family about what your wishes are, because also when you sign that, it's a legal and binding document. So if your family's like, oh no, Kathy, we don't want to do it. It's kind of like, it was one of your last wishes. So we have to honor your wish. And, you know, we don't, fight families against that. We have what we call family service coordinators who are also social workers. So they work and talk with the family, you know, to let them know that, you know what, this is something that um, this person wanted to do to save lives. And, you know, we want everyone to be at peace once everything is done. 
And um, the feelings that you feel, Kathy, are normal feelings. A lot of people sign up because they want to do it and do good, but they still have, you know, questions about it. And you should always ask questions anytime about it and what's going to happen. And that's why, Odell, that video you mentioned, which people can go and see on YouTube called How Does It Work? It actually gives the process of what happens when you check that box till the end of life. And I think it gives it in a simple way where everyone can understand it. So... That it, w- it was a good video. And, uh-huh. you know, being in our in a strong faith community, Kathy and I go to the same church. Uh-huh. And as you know, that our, our pastor's daughter, um, our pastor's daughter did the same thing also. Um, you know, we talk about in, in, in our church and our faith, we talk about uh, what it's like, you know, what you got to do to go to heaven. You know, live a faithful life and, and repent and all the things that we need to do before we get to heaven. But we never talk about what we have to do before we get there while we're still living on earth. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're talking about, the living will, the being an organ donor, because we know that this body, we can't, it's not going with us. Mm-hmm. So being able to leave something for someone is, is a good thing to do. So I'm, 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 I'm thinking. So I got mm-hmm. a question for you. Um, so let's say, and so in, in your line of work, in previous Thanksgiving dinners and holiday dinners with your family, you must have been the talk of the town. So Mark, <laughs> tell us, what do you do for a living? Where are you working now? <laughs> now that you're not in New York and you're not at the church anymore, Mark, what are you doing? And you talk about organ donors as, as they're cutting up the chicken liver to make the gravy. So... How many family members and friends, other than Kathy, have mm-hmm. you, um, you know, changed their mind and actually educated them on what it's like and got rid of some myths? So I'll start with my family first. Um, a lot of them, like as far as like my brother and sister-in-laws, and they were all organ donors already. They had it on their license. Now, my older family members, let's talk about my parents first. We'll talk about them. (laughs) So so my dad, he made the decision to do it once I took this job, and he started, you know, hearing about what's going on. But my mom, to this day, loves (laughs) what I do. And I'm going to be very honest with you, loves that it's helping other people but she refuses to do it. And you know what? That's fine because she's not at that place yet, you know? And, you know, we don't want to force anyone to do anything that they don't feel comfortable doing. Um, As far as friends, you know, it's so fun because it always comes up in some type of conversation, no matter what, at a party, anywhere we could be at. I'm sure. And, um, you know, and I, I just explain to them and have a real conversation with them about it, you know, and, Actually, it's something I'm very passionate about now, so I don't mind talking about it at any time, you know. And that's why I like going to um, the different um, organizations, such as fraternities, sororities, churches, the links, and different places, and give presentations about it because, um, you know, I see the good of it and what it does to help people. That and I'm I'm sure it does. And what we're going to do because the video was so helpful to us, mm-hmm. we're going to make sure that we put the link in our description okay, on great. our site so that people can just click on the link and mm-hmm. be able to watch it. So, Mark, if someone if someone dies and they did not check to be an organ donor, 
And then someone from the organ donation shows up and says, would you like to be an organ donor? This would like to donate some organs of your loved one. And they tell you that there is somebody who could really use something. Um, Other than the spouse, who has the legal right to make that decision? So if it's not the spouse, it's always the legal next of kin. So if the legal next of kin is the spouse or a child or a grandparent, the legal next of kin is the person who makes those decisions. Okay. Sister, mm-hmm. children. Sister, yeah, whoever, children. right, whoever um, that person has, has their person to make those decisions regarding um, end of life or their health issues or anything like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mark, um, any... In your, in your conversations with people, can you think of one huge misconception that's, that stands out in your head that someone said to you about organ donating? Um, that you just thought was, where the heck did you get that from? <laughs> so let me see. Well, you know, that's, so, okay, there, there are a couple I hear a lot. So, okay. Um, the, the main ones I hear actually like is what Kathy said, you know, they're not going to save my life if I get into an accident or something. So we've already okay. discussed that now in the, in the religions, in the religious world, especially um, persons who practice Christianity and, you know, Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, and all that stuff, I'm going to go to heaven with everything I got. <laughs> you know, that's what I, you know, so. <laughs> You know, I hear that kind of stuff like that. Really? So, yes. And okay. especially for a lot of older people. And and a lot of times um, I try to like make it biblical because these are people from faith. And and I always like to say to them, well, you know, transplant transplantation took place in Genesis, actually, in the second chapter, because rib. when God put man to sleep, <laughs> he took out a rib and created woman and put that into her so that was a transplantation that was an act of being transplanted right there so and putting man into a deep sleep that's anesthesia you know god god orchestrated a transplantation right there in genesis okay wow like i was thinking like where are you going with this one all right (laughs) so i I like to i like to look at it like that too okay all right your next bible class i will give you that one mark is there a certain time frame that when someone passes that you have to get their organs into the next person and i i ask you that question because so many times I hear that people of color, their bodies laid on the sidewalk on the streets for hours. Uh And I remember when Michael Brown was murdered, that his family and friends were streaming, taking pictures, and his body laid on the street for a little over two hours. So is there a time frame that an organ has to be into the next person to Um, be acceptable? Yes, there is. And unfortunately, you know, in that scenario, you know, um, you know, that was just a very sad situation. And in situations like that, or um, let's say if someone has an accident at home in the bathroom or fall in their house, we don't know how long they're there for. So we have to really, you know, 
check and see if these organs are viable to go into someone else. But um, there is a time frame. That's why it's so critical. So usually at the hospital, um, a person is usually brain dead. And when a person is brain dead, basically all their um, organs are functioning, but there's no brain activity. They're not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And they're basically on a machine that's keeping them alive. So a lot of families will make the decision after speaking with what we call a huddle. So it'll be um, the family, um, hospital doctors, nurses, social worker, clergy, and make a decision, you know, the, the family make a decision, okay, we want them to have, you know, we, we don't want this type of life, quality of life for them. So they will, um, what we used to say, pull the plug, or we will right. extubate them. So during that time, um, everyone says their goodbyes. And once that happens, the patient is sent to OR. And it's a very respectful thing that's done. I mean, they write something, the family about the patient, and then um, those things are said over the patient. But, you know, God has the last say, you can extubate a person and send them to OR and they don't pass away right away. So if they do not pass away right away, they bring them back upstairs because, um, you know, they haven't, they haven't passed yet. So with all that being said, there is a time frame that um, we use for hearts, kidneys. We do have pumps and things now, like for kidneys, so that they could last um, like about 48 hours, I believe so. And um, those can be used on persons. And um, the heart, um, there's a certain time frame also, and pumps that will help with the heart before they're um, put into someone else. And people must understand too, even though I'm an organ donor, if something happens to me, um, all my organs are tested before they can go into someone else. Okay. All so, right. You know, because I signed up as an organ donor when I was 16. I'm 58 now. I think my <laughs> organs have changed a little bit <laughs> over the years. So, you know. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, a lot of people ask that, you know. And the respect of the late uh, Sean Connery and was it Doctor No, where the liver or something was in the cooler with the with the with the diamonds in it, yeah, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, you you watching too much TV, on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so, so Mark, and and doing our research, yes, I do. <laughs> and and doing our research, we did learn that most religions in the United States view organ donation, like you talked about, the highest forms of giving for others. Yes. Uh, there, in your experience, has there been some religions that said, "Don't give me that Jewish um, heart or organ," or "Don't give me that." organ that belonged to a Muslim because I'm a Christian and I don't want that in my body. Have you heard people refuse organs because of their faith? Nope. I have not heard in my six yeah. years a person refuse organs because of faith or color. You have to Good. say color too because there are some people who don't want a black person's organ or a white person's organ or whatever, but I've not run across anything like that at all. Okay. Uh -huh. Mark, so obviously we're we're in a tumultuous time with COVID nineteen. Mm -hmm. How has COVID nineteen impacted organ donation? Is there more organ donation because of COVID nineteen? How how has that impacted? So I'm glad you asked, and I actually pulled up some information today to make sure because you know COVID information is changing every day a lot. Um, first of all. Um, 
people have to understand, unfortunately, we are losing a lot of people due to COVID. However, people are also still passing away from other things still. You know, the light is on COVID right now, but there are people still having heart attacks and strokes and car accidents and different things like that. So people are still able to give organs. Right now with COVID, it's done on a case by case depends on you know how long they've had COVID, what organs are being affected. So right now they say that if a person is COVID and has been on um, a respirator, they're not doing organs, at, a transplants wow. at all. But again, it depends on case by case and that's what okay. they're doing. And then each, each transplant program or each hospital will determine what the risk or the benefits would be of transplanting that organ into another person. Okay. And and what about if a person was on the list for an organ and then contracts COVID-19? Um, how does, how is it? So let's reverse it. So how does that work? So if they're waiting, you mean if they're waiting, so they right. would have to, they would have definitely have to be COVID free before they receive an organ. There are people who are like, for instance, on the um, transplant, transplant list for a kidney, but for some right. reason, um, I don't know, they're, diabetes flares up or something happens. So that will take them off the list until they can actually get their health back to where it needs to be to be back on the list. Wow. It's a whole process. People don't understand, like, you know, I can't just go in if I'm having kidney failure and be like, okay, I need a kidney. Like they go through a whole process that, you know, you might have to start changing your diet. Also, if there's a person who wants to give you a kidney, there are things they're going to have to go through in order to do this for you. Um, in our community, weight is a, a issue. So, you know, you have to be a certain weight to make sure that these things, you know, happen really? in receiving a kidney or, um, or um, giving a kidney. You know, there's a lot of health things you have to do to prepare yourself for it. And they also, also do a lot of psychological tests with you, too, because, you know, it's something you go through. Also, um, so they want to make sure every aspect is covered when you're receiving this organ. Okay. At our last podcast, we had our guest who needed a kidney Mm -hmm. and he was uh, in college and developed kidney failure. And his sister, Valen, and she donated her organ Mm -hmm. and he ended up coming back to Connecticut and being and, and that's where he is now do they fail after a, a certain period of time so um that's a very good question too so um of course when they first transplant the kidney they want to make sure that it's not one that's going to reject your body and you know you're on medications for for life basically you're taking medication mm-hmm. every day but um there are some lifespans so there are persons that like the average lifespan i want to say for a kidney could be possibly like um, a little over 10 years, but oh. there are people, you know, that go longer. And it's a thing too. I've had persons who have needed another transplant. So, you know, their kidney may have failed the one that was transplanted them after years, and okay. then they may, you know, have to get another one. So, so, you know, there is a time, I guess, on it, but um, it's something on how you maintain in a healthy lifestyle after you receive this kidney to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do wow that's that's okay this is this is this is really good yeah so i really enjoyed watching the video and it was shocking to learn that every 12 minutes another name is added to the national waiting list Mm 
And it said on an average of 22 people transition each day waiting for their organ. Yes. Um, Mark, is in what population is in highest demand for an organ transplant? Um, as far as when you say population, what do you is mean? It, is it age? Is, is it youth? Is it males? Is it females? Are children? So, um, right now, I, I, I don't have the actual numbers on that as far as um, gender, but um, let's see. I don't have, and I don't want to just give you any numbers that I'm not too sure about, but I can definitely get that answer back to you. For you can know, but I know there are over a hundred thousand men and women, and sixty percent of them are multicultural communities. So twenty-nine percent of those waiting are African American, and twenty percent are Hispanic, and then um, nine percent are Asian Pacific Islanders who are waiting. Okay. So with that being said, as far as um, race and ethnicity, we need the most organs. And what about there. and what about gender or age? Does it talk about age um, or gender? No, what I have right now here doesn't talk about age or gender too much. At one time, though, we did a whole um, a whole campaign. Males that were um, and this was and we had a problem registering this age group were males that were over forty years of age. For some reason, they weren't in the registry registering that much. So we did a whole ad campaign. Um, in regards to trying to persuade um, that demographics to register to become a donor. Okay, and you, that's, that's that's interesting. Now I remember I'm I'm, I'm back to TV shows now. So <laughs> I'm sorry. So there was there was a monk TV show. Oh no! And when Monk's wife died, his wife was and I know I'm I'm there. She was. They donated her eyes. Okay. And um, Monk saw this other woman and he was just fast. He just recognized the eyes and he just had to find it. The whole episode was him trying <laughs> to find this taxi driver. And when they finally connected at the end of the show, um, realized that she received his wife's eyes mm -hmm. and he recognized the eyes. Is that true? Something All like right. that possible. So <laughs> He's speechless. He okay. Just... <laughs> so let me put it this way. We do transplant corneas. So we okay. do that's true. All that part is true. Now all the other things that went along with that episode, I'm not too sure about that. But um, so they call it organ and tissue donation. Mm -hmm. So they call it organ because the organs that can be um transplanted are the lungs, the liver, um, the pancreas. Um, corn, um, pancreas, the heart, kidneys, and intestines. Those are the organs. And then um, tissues are considered like um, the corneas, um, different, um, um, what am I trying to say? The corneas, um, um, intestines, and also um, when women have... Um, breast cancer and they need reconstructive surgery, that tissue is used for reconstructive surgery. When athletes um, tear one of their joints, those are all tissues. So those are the types of organs that give you um, better enhancement of life. 
So, okay. you know, they change what you do. I'm burn victim skin and things like that for burn victims. Those are the things. And then, as I said, the only organs that you can give while you're living are one of your kidneys because you can function with one kidney or a piece of your liver because your liver grows back. Now, I prayed with my classmate tonight. She posted um, on Facebook that her husband was losing his vocal cords. So they mm -hmm. was taking out his lungs and, and she was, you know, she, and she was, she was, she was lamenting on, on Facebook. So mm -hmm. we connected, we started praying together and I asked her what was going on. He had cancer in the throat mm. in the lungs. Um, and they had to remove his, it was going to have to remove his lungs. Now you said uh, organ donation could be a lung replacement, correct? Yeah, it's a lung transplant. Okay. All right. I think I'll have to tell her that. Mm -hmm. Make sure she mm -hmm. listens to the show yep. so that she'll say, oh, she's talking about me. Um, so, yes, I will make sure that I share that information with her. And a lot of people, too, um, feel that they can't be organ donors based on certain. I get to a lot. Oh, I have diabetes. I have high cholesterol. I have whatever. Um, no, you can still be an organ donor. Like I said, they're going to test your organs, you know, at the time. Um, and science and things in the medical field have changed over the years because at one time for tissue donation, if you had a tattoo, you couldn't be a tissue donor. Okay. And then, and then another thing is that um, HIV persons could not be an organ donor, but in 2008, president Obama passed what he called the hope act. So an HIV person can give organs to another HIV patient. Oh. Um, so now, you know, if an HIV person can sign up to be a donor and their organ would go to another HIV person. Hmm. Okay. So, um, Mark, what about gender? Does it matter um, if an organ is an organ or does it? Right. Does That's it have a good to be? question. Okay. Yep. yep. An organ is an organ. For instance, um, um, I have persons who have, um, who, tell their stories and they are heart recipients. I have a gentleman, a, a black male gentleman who received a heart and he received a heart from a white teacher, female. Okay. okay. So that has nothing to, yeah, do with okay. it at all. Yep. All right. So, so Mark, the, back to this heart. Um, what if somebody was just evil, you know, and just, <laughs> hateful and had a just bad heart and, and, and those emotions come from the heart and somebody gets that heart who's a loving kind person you know do they pick up those that person's evilness and, and hatred i would want to say i don't think that would happen i think if you're a good person based on your friends and the people you're around and how okay. you think about things and how your mind thinks about things. I think that controls how your heart feels about things. So mm -hmm. I don't think that would be. No. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Mark, you brought up a good point earlier that did when I signed up to be an organ owner, did I discuss it with my husband, Odell Garland and I went to college together with Mark cause that's where I met mm -hmm. my husband. So he yeah. knows my husband. <laughs> and so, um, so yes, I did have that conversation, not only with him, but a, another close family member as well, because that's important. You don't want them to be shocked on that day that all right. of a sudden I signed up. But, you know, we don't have those kind of conversations much anymore, as you shared, like in, in 
when I was growing up, everybody would sit on the porch and you learn that's when you learn that Lizzie had diabetes or grandpa had a heart condition. Right. And we we need to get back to those uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. as you shared. So I call them porch conversations because that's where we did have those open dialogues. And that's really important. So Mm -hmm. just so you are comfortable, my husband's not going to come after you and say, you signed her up to be an organ donor. (laughs) No, but it's important. But I, what I, what I do want to hear though, is really the, the process. Now I signed up to be an organ donor, but I knew about the back, a little bit of back history. I'm learning a whole lot today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even when you do sign up, shouldn't there be something given to the person to kind of explain organ donating or refer them to a website? And even when you talked about that your staff, depending on their their job, are located in hospitals. So Mm -hmm. tell us, tell us about that. What is, you're located in hospitals to do what? Do you go there after? Are you just staying there all day waiting? Or what is what is that process? So basically, it's um, a situation where we have um, so many departments. I'm just one small department, community outreach. We have what we call um, HRCs, who are hospital relations coordinators, FSCs, who are family services coordinator. And I'll just use those two for ex- example. So a hospital relations coordinator, they're assigned to an hos- a hospital. And they're the person who works with our company and the transplant surgeons and nurses and things at the hospital. So what happens is that um, once a patient becomes brain dead, um, they will be on the list. If And whether they're not a donor, a signed donor, or a registered donor, or a non-registered donor. And so um, it's monitored with the family. So that's when the family service coordinator comes in. If it's almost um, end of life where there's no hope, and they will come and have these discussions with the family. Um, if the family is a religious family, usually a lot of times they're clergy. They have their minister involved in you know the whole process and things like that. So it's something that um, we go to the different hospitals, and, and it's so fun. It's not like, you know, we're not like sitting, waiting, like, okay, um, <laughs> you know, is something going to happen soon? But we're available, and we work very closely with the hospitals, um, you know, monitoring the patient and um, respecting the family. That's a big thing. People think, like, it's something you sign up your organs are donated, we don't hear from you. We have what we call an aftercare department and we um, correspond with the family a year or even later, um, you know, after they've donated their loved one's organs because, you know, it's something they want to be a part and it's like a family. So we don't just leave you out there and you have um, the opportunity to ask questions to anyone at any time about. Um, And what happens is that when you do sign up, at one time they would give you a card, but you know they don't do that anymore. And you would have a card saying like I'm a I'm a donor. So what ha- yeah. Mm-hmm. So what happens now is you know because of the internet and different things, there's so many things and organizations like the one I work for where you can look up and find out information. Contact me or someone else so that we can you know have a talk with you. And if you need additional information, we can send you information and things like that. So. And so I signed up. Uh, to be an organ donor, can I make a decision as to what I donate? Maybe yes, yes, you can do that. Because oh. there's some people that say, "I'm um, I don't want to donate my eyes," you know, and they'll, and you could put it down or, 
And you can go back in the system or let the persons know, you know, that. And then another thing a lot of people ask is that, okay, I'm an organ donor and I have a son or daughter who needs a kidney. So if Uh something happens to me, you know, is it possible that my son or daughter can get that kidney? And the answer is yes. You know, they will test things, you know, to make sure everything is okay and it works. But yes, you can do that. So Oh, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you um, stipulate who cannot get your organs? No, you can't. Really? No. So that person you don't like, you know, from the store or something like that, you can't say. <laughs> you can't do that. No. Well, not just, not just, not just the person. <laughs> or like you said before, you know, if I'm Baptist, I don't want the catholic to get my organ or the catholic to get the jew you know you can't do any of that no. or i wouldn't want a clans person to to get mm. my organs um yeah. you know yeah you yeah no, no there's nothing <laughs> unfortunately there's not a box <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a, yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i was close i like you know. so okay. maybe though odell being the person you are maybe if that clan person does get your organ maybe they'll change their you know behavior. <laughs> Say, what? don't get me started on this that's another show all right and babies can receive organs newborn oh. babies yes yes babies can receive or because there are young children that are on transplant lists that um you know the children's hospitals they're waiting for hearts or they have weak hearts and things like that so yes so with and that being said um i couldn't give a heart to an infant because of course my heart you know is too big and the size and things like that but um we have a parent who gave her son part of her liver because it's just a piece of liver that's taken out so mm. you could do yeah so you took piece of the liver and, and, and gave transplanted it to the- in her son. He had um, a liver deficiency, and it was transplanted in her son. Mm-hmm. Wow. A piece of her liver. Yeah. Now, what you said, you, you go through psychological testing and communication with the person mm-hmm. that's that's giving. Um, how intense is that? Um, I'm not sure how intense it is, but I do know, you know, anything dealing with possibility of death and things like that or anything dealing with death it's an emotional thing a lot of people who receive organs sometimes they have like a guilt factor this person had to die so i can live you know so Mm. you know that plays a lot on a person's mind you know and different things like that so wow yeah mark this is um a wonderful thing that you do but in terms of emotions is it's an emotional thing what what do you do or what does your organization do to keep their staff motivated to do such a job on a daily basis because it's not um, an easy thing yeah it's a and that's a good thing we have a lot of different um outlets that we have within our organization which they're very good about that especially now because a lot of us are working virtual so to deal with a lot of these different things and some people are home by themselves or with you know family um they have a lot of different resources that you can go to um we have counselors and different things that we can go to also uh-huh. within the organization, you know, if it starts to get to you. Because I, I tell this story all the time. So 
when I first started this job and I was going through training and they set me in a room and we watched videos and things of people who received organs and families that gave organs. And, you know, all the lights were out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm crying. Like, I don't cry at work. Like, why am I crying? You know, uh, and then they turned the lights on. Everybody was crying. So, you know, it's like it's such an emotional thing, you know, and you get so attached with the people, you know, and the families. And it's like I said, it's something I'm very glad at this stage of my life, this is something that I'm doing. And I can right. see how people are being helped and, you know, just living life again. And, you know, we have so many instances too where people die from um, drug overdoses and things like that, you know, and violence in the street, gun violence and things like that. And we have families that donate their loved ones organs. And it's like, you know what? my child's legacy is living now in someone else, you know, mm. the end of their story is not that they OD, you know, that's right. not the end of their story. The end of their story is not that they saved eight lives or something, you know, so. Well, Mark, I so glad that you're on and you were able to be with us today. Uh, thank you so very much for being here. What we do is we, Kathy and I spend a lot of time trying to disrupt the silence in our community about various myths about our health and mental health to help people continue to be able to move forward in their life. And this is truly a conversation of turning trauma into triumph. And as we're getting ready to close, I have to ask you, I mean, is there anything that you want to say to our listeners who um, are at this stage of a loved one is about to pass and they are considered, they're not even considering organ donation. Uh -huh. Is there anything that you'd want to say to that individual? Um, yeah, I would want to say to them, like, definitely educate yourself on the process because a lot of things is because we don't know. So because we don't know, we just assume certain things. And by giving the organs of your loved one to someone else, you are enhancing and giving life to someone else. And that's something, you know, that is just a remarkable thing to know that I was able to help someone else live who may not have lived, who may not have been able to go to college or get married or do the things that we do in life because um, they were going to die. And unfortunately, my loved one is at a place where either they've, you know, reached the end of their life and they've had a full life or some things happen that should not happen. But I want to be a part of helping someone else. And the thing is, too, you get such a connection and you, you get another family, you know, mm -hmm. by doing this too. And, and you just talk about your loved one a lot. And like I said, you're leaving a legacy and that person is always remembered through, I mean, we do what we call flag raisings and different things in their honor. So like then of course you're not going to forget them because they're your loved one, but you left a legacy now that, you know, a whole state or region will mm -hmm. not forget them, you know, because of, the unselfish act that you did as a family member of giving, um, you know, the organ of um, your loved ones so that someone else can have what we call it the gift of life, giving mm -hmm. the gift okay. of life to someone else. 
the gift of life. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, your position that you hold moves you through the entire transition. So through the sadness, through the triumph, as mm-hmm. as Odell shared with you, uh, the, the podcast title that we have today. So it's not an easy job that you have. So we want to always, what we encourage our guests because of the type of jobs that they do, to take care of yourself. And, and don't forget that piece of it because uh, we recognize, we pray for you and we recognize that what you do is difficult and, and we wanna thank you for what you do. So we urge you to um, share our podcast with those people that you know and with others that you don't know. Just share our podcast and those that are listening as well because what we do know is that w- there are people out there that need to hear the message that Odell and I are trying to get out there. And so, I, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. No, and I want to say um, this is a great podcast and, you know, it's something that people need to hear in these type of conversations that they can, you know, go to and it's in a relaxed way so that they don't feel so intimidated about talking about it. And uh, <laughs> so you guys are doing a really great job. And I just want to say one more thing that too, if a person is watching this and they want to register at one time, you only could do it at the motor vehicles department, but now you can also go online and you can register online at, um, www.registerme.org and you can also do it on your iPhone now on the health app they make it very easy for you so if you go on the health app on your iPhone it'll say donate life you literally put your information in there and within five minutes you're in the national registry wow and we'll make sure we have that posted as well yes so right. we do we do have some exciting news to share that uh, our next podcast will be a first of a series that we will be doing and it's called Curing Holiday Blues. And we're gonna talk about with our guests how to get through the holidays and find joy and not just through the holidays, but find joy in every day. So we're excited about sharing that information. Again, thank you, Mark, for coming. Thank you to our listeners. And Kathy, as always, (laughs) good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you for having me. Thank you.